HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. For more information, visit www.rt11.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We are coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, September 20th, 2017, and this is the 153rd episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a top editor at a top culinary magazine, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip. And then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to do your research. Whatever you're working on or interested in, take time to understand the history, facts, and experience. Seek information, do background checks, try things out for yourself, and talk to trustworthy sources. Yes, Google away and know your subject well before you get vocal. Then you will be able to speak as a true authority. So do your homework and then share your knowledge. That's my tip today. Now, I am really super thrilled to have my guest in the studio. It is Andrew Knowlton. He is the deputy editor at Bon Appetit magazine. Andrew has worked at Bon Appetit since like forever, according (laughs) to this bio I found, and that forever is around. 2000, and uh, he oversees the magazine's restaurant coverage, including the annual Hot 10 list, and he writes a a rather opinionated foodist column that has run in the magazine since 2008. 
Welcome, Andrew. Thank you so much for having me. It's taken me a while to get here, but I'm happy to be here. Hey, man. I, I <laughs> waited it out, and I got you here, and this is going to be a fabulous 45 minutes. <laughs> That's what happens when the media business, you know, there's less and less people running the brand, so it, it's it's uh, tough. But I made it I made it here in 30, 32 minutes on my bicycle from, from One World Trade. That's impressive. Yeah, so I'm a little sweaty right now. I apologize. Wow. <laughs> I know you. Wow. You bicycle. I you. I don't know if any of my other guests have bicycled here. Yeah, I started doing it. I just got frustrated with the subway trains in New York. And I remember when I used to go out, you know, to various media events or restaurants that I would just always get stuck waiting. I mean, before Uber also, like getting Mm -hmm. stuck and waiting for cabs and all that. And then like going home late at night and you wait for the subway for like an hour and so I just, one day I started riding my bike to work and it was so much more pleasurable. I had to, I had the time to think about the day or on my way to work, think about what I needed to do. And then cycling back from, you know, going out to dinner and all that is never a bad thing when you've just, you know, consumed more than five people consume in a week. You did that in one meal. So it was a form of exercise, you know, mm-hmm. to keep myself sane and, and healthy. You know, that's, that's the biggest struggle as you is it, it, when you do my job, which is eating out a lot, as you know, and, yeah. and I've seen you on the road quite a bit, um, maintaining some semblance of like a balanced lifestyle. Cause I do like to, I like my alcohol and I like my rich foods and maintaining that and balancing work and, and, and family and all that. And so that's, that's where the cycling thing came in. No, it makes sense. A lot of sense. I mean, I, I city bike, but I find that I jump on it more when I'm on the way home, then, but like, I don't want to get all sweaty between right, right, activities. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it depends on where I am and what I'm doing. But, and also I have to like, it's scary in the city. I don't know. I have to be very no, alert. It is. You, you, ha- you can't date. That's what I tell people. You can't like when you're on the subway and you're daydreaming or you're like staring at the mm-hmm. New Yorker reading or New York magazine, you can't daydream because if you daydream and somebody else daydreams and they happen yeah. to be in a car, you're going to lose that, that, that fight. So you have to stay vigilant. And, you, and if you ride your bike enough in New York City, you're going to have an accident or two. I will say since I've been doing it for the past four or five years, it's gotten way better. Drivers are way more kind of cognizant of what's going on in, in the lanes. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things. But, you know, it's dangerous walking down the street, you know. <laughs> True. <laughs> Be alert. Yes. N- a new tip for me coming up. <laughs> so um, so, so let's, let's go back and... I want to hear a little bit about your background. Did you want to be a journalist? Did you want to work in food with restaurants? And how did you land the job back in 2000 at Bon Appetit? Yeah, so um, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. I was I was uh, raised there. Um, and, you know, everybody always asks me, like, how did, you know, how did you get into food? And, you know, back then, you know, in the, the late 90s when I was in college, um, you know, food was something that was kind of rarefied and... Uh, expensive and um, and and I, I, I owe a lot to my father. Um, in in Atlanta, there's a street called Buckhead um, Highway. Excuse me, Buford Highway, mm-hmm. and it's a, a, where a lot of the international restaurants were. And and he was always great about taking us as a family out there every Friday or Saturday night and exploring new cuisines. And I used to, I remember there's this. He used to love this place called Himalayas, which was an Indian restaurant. And I hated it. I used to cry. I mean, I was probably, you know, probably in the third or fourth grade. And I used to just cry. And, like, he would try to give me a Coca-Cola. And that usually that worked. It didn't work this time. 
And he kept taking taking us back there because he loved it so much. And then one day I went in and I had some naan or I had some chicken tikka masala. I still wasn't ready for like lamb vindaloo. It was too spicy. But And I just started to kind of fall in love with it and the idea of going out to restaurants. So that was born in me. And I again, I owe my, my parents a lot for instilling that curiosity mm-hmm. in me to explore different you know, different cultures through the food. And obviously growing up in the South food is such a rich tradition there and, and gathering around the table. I didn't, I, I wasn't one of those people who grew up, you know, with the classic Southern food and a grandma in the kitchen making all these old school, amazing things. My mom was an amazing cook, but it was, it was very much um, like the silver palette cookbook type, type stuff. Or a Southern accent. I mean, I don't know. Right. Or, I, don't uh, know. I always I say didn't... when I moved up to North for college, they kind of they kind of uh, kick that out of me okay. a little bit. <laughs> I think if I had a few whiskeys, you would you would okay. sense a draw. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I escaped the South um, and went to school up in Maine um, for undergraduate, and that's when I was able to travel a lot. And that kind of opened, again, opened my eyes to, I remember going to Greece, um, one year I, I was a philosophy major, um, and studying Aristotle and, and, uh, Plato. And I remember going to a farmer's market and kind of really the first farmer's market I had ever been to with, with, um, all the yayas all grow, uh, you know, buying their produce for that day, not going to not going to Kroger or, or, or Big Star or whatever grocery store. And that really opened my eyes to a whole new, like, seasonality. Um, and, and that's the thing. That, that wasn't something that we take it for granted now, but that wasn't something that was bantered about all the time. There was no farm-to-table. Um, and that was very eye-opening. So after, after I graduated school, I, I, went to, I went to New York City, um, and I enrolled in a publishing course at NYU, um, for some reason I wanted to get into magazines. I don't know why that exactly is. I worked yeah. at Barnes and Noble, uh, during college when I would go home to Atlanta and in w- one year they put me in charge of the magazine rack. Um, and I would just, I kind of could take the old ones that they would clip off the covers, you know, to send back. So I don't know. I kind of fell in love with that. I thought it was the book publishing business, but it ended up being the magazine business that I fell in love with. Um, yeah. And then I, uh, Luckily, um, I was walking through NYU, uh, one of the buildings and there was a sign like a little, you know, where you'd hire a lawnmower or like a nanny, you know, right, pick right, a number. Yeah, yeah. And it was, uh, it was for an internship at, at Bon Appetit magazine. And this was in, <laughs> really? ni- yeah, this was in <laughs> 1999. It wasn't exactly like pull a tag, but it was like, it was no, an, I've been, like, envisioning yeah. that. like, wow, <laughs> it was an official, like kind of job opportunities okay. and it was on mm-hmm. there. So it was, it was for a, basically for a guy Friday, um, kind of do it all. And it was three days a week and it was just a freelance internship kind of thing. Um, and so I jumped at it and I interviewed and somehow, uh, Tanya Winman Steele, mm-hmm. um, who used to be at Bon Appetit and then went on to Epicurious. Um, she, she hired me. Wow. Yeah. And that was, <laughs> that knew? was, that's I, how it began. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how it began. And, and during that time, um, I'd worked at another magazine for a hot minute, um, and I'd, I'd worked at a relatively well-known restaurant in Brooklyn called The Grocery, which is on right. Smith Street, mm-hmm. um, and that was um, before you kind of had the Brooklyn Bistro boom, um, when all these kind of smaller places were opening of, of a certain you know kind of restaurant, and I worked there under Charles Kiley, um, who was a talented chef, and, and that's that's probably where I really kind of honed in and fell in love with food on a on not just a going out to eat 
you know, and, and going to restaurants, but really learning how to cook, um, you know, kind of getting a taste of the business and that buzz that a lot of people kind of get addicted to. Um, I got into that. So I think that's maybe why I got the job that, and hopefully I wrote a good cover letter or something to them. And so, yeah, I just, I got kind of thrown into this mm-hmm. world and, and this is when, T- uh, Condé Nast who publishes, uh, Bon Appetit, um, and, and used to publish Gourmet, uh, we were at four times square. Um, and my first job, which I always tell the younger people at the magazine now, and they kind of look at me like, like with glazed over eyes was to call restaurants around the country and around the world and request that they fax their menus into us. So I was in charge. Uh, we're around the same yeah. age. So, so I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. And so I'm, I, I tell them that sometimes the, the, the youngsters and it, it's amazing because there was, you know, a lot of restaurants didn't right. have websites and if they did, you certainly couldn't just print the menu out. So it was pretty incredible. It took a lot of legwork and it was, you know, going through, we used to get every single, um, like city alt weekly, like in New York, it was the village voice. We would get or New York press. We would get all of those from around the country. So I would kind of scan if there was a restaurant there that I thought looked cool. I would pass it along to Tanya. We got all the city magazines, whether it was Atlanta magazine or LA weekly or Boston or whatever, and do the same thing. So I started to develop this kind of, uh, database in my head. I, kind of became good at memorizing restaurants. And that's really, you mentioned your tip was doing your research. Mm -hmm. And that's something I tell everybody today is like, I think a lot of people come in and just assume that they'll pick it up, but you really have to do your groundwork. It's certainly much easier nowadays with, you know, Eater and the other websites that kind of do all that for you. And Google. And Google, yeah. Yeah, you know. And they do a great job. It makes the job a lot easier, but then it also, I think you you lose some of that kind of institutional knowledge about things. Um, So, yeah, and then, you know, like I said, I've been there forever. So that was 99, Um, and then... And then I've, yeah, and now I'm the deputy editor in 2017. It seems like it was yesterday, but 17 years is a long time at one place. It is a long time. I don't know how you, how we get into, you know, how you from there went to deputy editor, but maybe, maybe like, how did you get into doing the, being the restaurant editor and like getting, doing the, the list, the yeah. hot 10 list. And, and then also I'm thinking during this time, the internet and social media and all these things. I mean, you've seen the magazine go through a lot of change. Yeah. Big changes. Big changes. I mean, you know, Tanya um, left the magazine and and kind of uh, passed the torch on to me to kind of assume the restaurant. And and that's the time, this is kind of nerdy magazine talk, but uh, Bonavitti was based in Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. uh, 6300 Wilshire. Um, And and Condé Nast owned uh, Bonavitti and Architectural Digest, which were both based in LA, but there was a small contingent in New York where I, where I have always been. And we were always in charge of the restaurant, I guess, cause they thought New York was the center of the restaurant world. Um, yeah, LA is trying to take that from, well, us, right? I was going to say, it's <laughs> funny how that's shifted. No. Um, and I just started picking it up and running with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we always did like a kind of a small restaurant list back in the day. Um, you know, we did like 10 oyster bars and I would kind of be in charge of that and travel to as many as I could. Or if I couldn't get there, I would source it through hopefully a local person. And then, you know, things really changed. I guess it was, uh, seven or eight years ago when, um, Adam Rappaport came uh, on board as the editor in chief. He used to be at GQ and he worked for timeout here and also the James Beard foundation. 
And he was like, you know, I love this list and I love what you do with it, but like, let's, let's own it. Let's really knock it out of the park. Like I want to dedicate the entire magazine and, and blow it out online and do videos and all that. So that's, that's really when it became this thing where if I was traveling before that, you know, a couple months, maybe a month out of the year. Now it's like, you know, when you add it all up, it's like four months out of the year that you're on the road um, doing the best you can to kind of canvas the country and, and eat as, as, as many places as you can. Um, and it's just been a whirlwind. And I think now, you know, we just, we just, you know, on, well, I think the October issue is out now on newsstands, but the yeah, September, the yeah, the September one oh. just was on the That's newsstand okay. and, um, it's been amazing. Um, if I can pat Bon Appetit on the, on the back a little bit, the, the brand recognition that Bon Appetit has now that, you know, when when we are able to give accolades to certain chefs and restaurants, just the economic impact that that has on a restaurant. And, um, you know, I'm certainly not we're not the first ones to write about places, which just proves, you know, the power of a brand, um, you know, and it's become it's become a very crowded um, arena. You know, everybody has a hot 10 list or, you know, their best new restaurants to the list. And so I guess we just try to differentiate differentiate ours. Um, by doing, you know, a lot of the legwork and and hopefully getting a, yeah. d- a diverse pool of restaurants. And you do. I mean, I, we're going to take a break. I want to fi- I want to I want to figure out or find out how you decide where you're going to go mm-hmm. and how you do this research and canvas the whole country. And you come up with this this amazing list and you discover places and you put them on the map and um, you're the guy behind it so it's it's awesome so we're gonna we're gonna dive more into that after the break so stay with us this is all in the industry on heritage radio network well she's her own she's her own female she's her own The following program has been brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Root 11 Potato Chips dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate. Incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Root 11 Potato Chips believes comfort food should be just that. Know where your food comes from. For more information, visit rt11.com. And welcome back to On the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Andrew Knowlton, the deputy editor at Bon Appetit magazine. We just heard a a lot about your background, which is fascinating, and I love it. And I'm just impressed you've been with the magazine for so long, um, and what you do. So let's 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 talk about this list and these these this. You say you travel about four months out of the year. I mean, how do you decide where to go and who's who's who are you looking at to get your information? You know? Yeah, I mean, I guess first of all, you know, anytime you're one or two people. Now I have a colleague, Julia Kramer, who, um, since last year, kind of, we divide and conquer. 
Um, because she's it's, great. It, yes, she's, she's amazing. She's great. Yeah. It's it's you know I know Bill Addison from Eater uh, travels more than I do, <laughs> and sometimes I'm in awe of, of how he does that and and makes it work because just health wise it's rough and airplanes and all that stuff. But you know. Um, it's, it's an imperfect system. Anytime you're kind of ranking the best new restaurants because you physically can't eat at every single restaurant that's open and you can't eat, you know, on all the, all the different levels of restaurants from casual to fine dining. So I think our job is to, um, you know, take the, take the institutional knowledge that we have and, and listen to uh, what the kind of um, chatter is about restaurants and um, you know, as I've been in the industry longer, I kind of know when things are going to pop up or I've, I've talked to chefs or you, you know, you hear through the grapevine. And, and then I think if we're, you know, let's say we're, let's say St. Louis, if we know that there's a restaurant in St. Louis that we think is going to be a promising restaurant just because we have a tip or we know somebody's opened that up, we will plan a trip around St. Louis and then we'll start to reach out to whether it's you know, a friend there or perhaps another journalist and just to get their take about what's opening up there. And then, you know, usually most of those trips take three or four days. You know, they, they certainly are helicopter. Or, you know, you can't go in and spend two weeks in St. Louis discovering every single new restaurant. So you have to, you have to be, like, be very careful about that. And, and, and then it always happens that you go to that one restaurant you thought was going to be good and maybe it's not, or maybe it is. But then you always discover those places when you're walking down a street somewhere or you hear while you're sitting at the bar at a restaurant that somebody's talking about. So, so some of it is serendipity. Like you said, you have to do your research. And then, and then the hard part is uh, – not the hard part, but the, 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 the fun part is after those however long we've traveled throughout the year is coming back and sitting at your desk – and going through all those menus that you've collected and looking over the notes that you've scribbled, you know, when you get back to your hotel room is what are those 50, uh, 60 meals that really stood out and why? Um, and that's what Julia and I do when we get back. Um, and then trying to winnow that list down to 10 is, is again, an imperfect science, but you know, this is when, when Adam said, let's do this, he always said like, this is not, this is not a universal list. This is my list. Mm -hmm. It's kind of what I like, um, to see in restaurants. Um, and you know, we, 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 you know, we're not covering every single style of restaurant. We're covering restaurants that, um, you know, we feel are doing interesting things on a culinary spectrum. And, and that list has grown to encompass so many more different types. Cause it used to be, you know, way back when it was very formal restaurants, perhaps those were the ones progressing, you know, and using the best ingredients. But now just with the casualization of American dining, it opens it up, makes the job even more kind of challenging right. and demanding and also more fun because you get to you, you don't have to put on a suit. And and, and those are yeah. those are the really restaurants that you want to go to now is those casual mom and pop, like passionate restaurants, you know, whether it's a dumpling place or you know, whether it's a pizza place or this year it was a sandwich place in New Orleans. Right. This Turkey and the Wolf, which I hadn't heard of until your list came out, which it sounds, I mean, it's, it's, it sounds fantastic. It's delicious. Fun. It's, it's, yeah. it's a really fun restaurant. And then when I was in Austin and I was there mm -hmm. and I hadn't been in Austin like 20 years and I was hopping around and I'm sitting there, you know, I ended up at, at, um, Kimori because word of mouth at the festival yeah, at Hot Luck. It wasn't on my initial list. Right. Just, just, right. And then people were talking about yeah. it. So I went and then you walked in and sat down next to me and said, it was like, yeah, like 
my third time here, and I'm thinking, <laughs> hmm, this is a contender. I mean, we didn't, uh, you know, I didn't say anything. You didn't say anything, but I was in my head. I was thinking, right. you know, you're doing your research. That, that was, yeah, I'd been there, I guess, three times. That was, I think, my fourth time, and that was just the last kind of follow-up, just... I don't want to call it quality control. And that was an interesting night there, if you remember, because they were out of a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I would I would say that the service wasn't as good as it had been on my previous visits. There, And it was kind of, it was the end of uh, South By, correct? Uh, ha- uh, hot Luck. Hot Luck. Hot it was luck, a Hot yeah. Luck Festival, which is a big festival in Austin. So I think they had been bombarded by a lot of chefs and right. people you know, like who had heard the buzz. So I think they were a little tired. But I think that is why that's part of Julie and I's job is to go to places multiple times. You know, most diners don't have that luxury. Eating out is really expensive in the United States um, and don't have that luxury to go three or four times. They can only go once. And so a restaurant only has that one time to make an impression. Luckily, I have I have the job where I get to go to those places three or four and kind of get that median average. You know, some, you know, we all have bad days. Some days we wake up and we're in a bad mood or you just the words don't flow and you shut your laptop and go do something else. Right. But a restaurant, you can't do that. You know, you can't say, you know what, we're not feeling it. We're not going to serve food today. Um, but that was an interesting meal. I thought, you know, we had a lot of good dishes. Um, but, you know, every, any of those restaurants in the hot 10 have bad days, you know. That, that's always interesting to hear the feedback is when I hear it's, it's usually my parents or my parents' friends who have traveled somewhere and, and then they'll write me this long kind of diatribe about how they didn't like that restaurant. And, you know, all I can say is, like, that's the beauty of restaurants, you know. It is it is not a objective thing. It's a yeah. totally a subjective, you know, it's, you know, I always compare it to going and be a movie critic is we all bring something different, a different background to a movie, and we might relate to that in a way, but essentially we're all seeing the, the same, same movie. Mm-hmm. And it's not like that with food, you know. Right. It's it's very yeah. different. Even rock, you know, rock shows, you know, from one night to the next, whether the Dead's playing in Cincinnati and then they play in Cleveland, those are two different shows. Sometimes the Grateful Dead had, sorry to bring up the Grateful Dead, but sometimes, <laughs> no, the, Grateful, sorry. sometimes <laughs> the Grateful Dead had bad shows. Like that's mm-hmm. well documented because people tape them all. Um, but I think that's what keeps it exciting. That's like restaurants are living, breathing things. Mm. They're organisms. Yeah. I was glad that you put it on the list. You came in at number eight. Eight, and, yeah. and And also, yeah, I have a story behind it between seeing you there. And, I mean, I was just full when I got there. I was on my, I was having my third dinner, which, <laughs> you know, I was just trying to conquer Austin by myself. And, um... And I go places typically once. I'm not going a zillion times. So, right, right. Um, you want to try as many places yeah. as you can. Yeah, and I, I liked it, and I liked the vibe. I remember saying it reminded me something about Roberta's, and, and <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, I don't know. It just had a cool factor to it. Yeah, and there's this kind of sprawling quality to it that you have the front bar, and then you kind mm-hmm. of have this patio-like thing, and then you even have an out, outside right. space, and they have that yeah. cool bar in the front when it's really packed that you can kind of hang on. I mean, that that is the... That is the you know that's the that's the downside of the job is go, having knowing that you need to do your job and go to those four or five places in one night, and and wanting to give the restaurant a fair shake even if you are full. But I will say, the one true test of a restaurant is if if you have had four dinners and you go have your fifth <laughs> and you're eating still and and you can't put whatever that is you're eating down. That's a pretty good sign that somebody knows what they're doing in the kitchen. Yeah. True, true. But then it comes down to like, you need a bike home after all <laughs> That's of this. Right. That's right. <laughs> but um, let me ask you, I have some questions from past guests when I um, 
at the end of the show. I asked them to ask you a question, and so I have two questions. Okay. So first, from episode 151, I had on Jason Wright, and he's the founder of J. Wright Design, and he wants to know... Imagining you've worked in the food, well, he said, he's imagine you've worked in the food industry a long time, and you have. So what would you do if there wasn't a career you could have in the food industry, like the food industry mm. vanished somehow? Like a, like a real job or a dream job? You can interpret it however you want. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, real job or a dream. Well, I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've, I would love to, I don't want to necessarily uh, compete in the Tour de France, but I would love to like be a pro cyclist. I think being able to see the world on a bicycle, you know, riding around and then just being able to, after you do ride a hundred miles a day, being able to eat whatever you want, that would be my dream job. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I've always, I always wish I was a much better, uh, writer and, and, and being a novelist. I've always like, you know, wanted to, 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 and maybe I will one day, but I, you know, put, put my two cents in and try to write a novel. I mean, I, you know, I was a philosophy major and I felt like that was a really good, um, background for writing about whatever. And, uh, um, so I think one day, you know, I, I, I would love to be a novelist. Okay. Yeah. That, that would be my dream. And then I have another great question from episode 152. I had on Carrie Tannenbaum. She is the founder of Bitesy, which is this new travel uh, website Mm -hmm. uh, for people. uh, It's for food-driven explorers. So her question is, what meal would you construct from any restaurant, living or dead, including an appetizer, entree, and dessert? Like, what would be your... At one restaurant. No, basically what if you if you're like your dream meal, if you could put together a meal of three courses from oh, any restaurant. I know this it's, this, it's a tough one. Like yeah. from the past, she was she was saying right. like, you know, there's restaurants that are no longer around that right. maybe you wish you you could have that one dish again. Right. Well, I would definitely start with a, a 50-50 martini and a pretzel um, at Prime Meats. In mm. Brooklyn, New York, Carroll Gardens, to be more exact, that is my local. Yeah. I've, I've probably been to. Good call. I've been to a lot of restaurants in my day, but that is. I mean, I've lived, you know, uh, a stone's throw from that restaurant for a long time, and that I feel part of that bar. So that that's where I would start, just to familiarize myself. Um, I, yeah, that's tough around the world. I. I would say the first time. The first time I went to Momofuku, I would say, you know, having, and now it's a kind of an afterthought, but having the pork bun mm-hmm. at Momofuku was, um, I was young and, and exploring things and that really just to, to the fact that that could be a restaurant like it is, um, with backless chairs and kind of John McEnroe poster and just loud, loud soundtrack, you know, blaring Led Zeppelin. Um, that I feel like that and other restaurants like a Vec in Chicago ushered in kind of a yeah. whole new thing. Man, my entree. I mean, or, I, I'm, I'm well, sticking only... in New York because it's so hard. Yeah. It's it's that's a lot to to think of the globe um, or a dessert. Yeah, I, I would say I. I mm, you know, when I was a young man, I when New York uh, Restaurant Week was a thing, and people went to do it. I went to Le Cote Basque, which is now defunct restaurant, um, yeah. which is kind of classic French. And there was a chicken choice for the entree, and then there was a kidney choice. 
And I ordered the kidneys, and I just I wasn't ready to eat, eat kidneys <laughs> yet. So I ended up eating eating half that. eating half of the kidneys, and it came with mashed potatoes. And then stuffing the rest of the kidneys underneath the mashed potatoes <laughs> so to hide them because I was so ashamed. <laughs> so I'd like to go back and 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 try that. That would be. That would be the thing. And then I think my dessert would be a little... Um, I'm, I'm sticking with the United okay. States. Okay. The globe is too... That's too much to handle with my mind right now. Um, would be probably at State Bird Provisions in San mm. Francisco, which we, we named number one a few years ago. They do this little shot of um, kind of chocolate and milk called World Peace. Um, it's in their cookbook that's just out now. Um, that would be my dessert. I'm not a big dessert. I consider whiskey dessert, so okay. I don't have a sugar tooth. You give me some Swedish fish and a whiskey on the rocks, and that's all I really need. You you answered that question beautifully. Okay. That was a really tough, <laughs> interesting question. Yeah, no, that's great. I was just thinking, I went to State Bird Provisions. I was there by myself, and I was just overwhelmed with the cart coming by and like everything yeah. I should I? Yes, maybe. I don't know. That's one of those restaurants. There's only, you know, it's hard. I, I eat alone and I enjoy eating alone a lot of times, but there's certain restaurants like State Bird Provisions that you, you can't go by yourself. You yeah, need, I you, need you need support. Because I definitely did not have the dessert. Now I want the dessert. Um, okay, so we're going to take another break right. and then we're going to come back and we're going to play my speed round game and talk some industry news. Awesome. This is all in the industry and Heritage Radio Network. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Andrew Knowlton of Bon Appetit Magazine, and it's time for my speed round game. All right. So I'm going to name a couple of things, and you pick your preference. Okay. It's like either or situation. I like this. I think you're going to be good. I hope so. I think you are. Okay, here we go. Eat in or eat out? Mm. (laughs) Mmm. I'm going to go these days. I'm going to go with eat in. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail, or I guess I should say, or whiskey? Uh, I would say, yeah, spirits first, and then and then I would go with wine and beer, and then mocktails somewhere down the ladder. <laughs> <laughs> How about tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte, every day. No, no, I'm not. I mean, certain restaurants, yes, but I don't want to be held captive by, I, I like to order myself now. Same thing with... Uh, Wine pairings. I want a bottle. I don't want wine pairings. <laughs> okay. Mental note. <laughs> Communal table or chef's counter? Oh, chef's counter. Always. Yeah. yeah I like I like, I like a, I like a view of the kitchen when I eat. Yeah, me too. Small plates or large plates? Uh, I don't 
don't know. I like, I, you know, I like small plates. I like to try different flavors and all that. Of course, if I'm dining with my family, like a large format thing, but I, I think personal preference, small plates. Okay. How about tipping or all-inclusive charge? All-inclusive charge. I, it's got to go that way. It's, it's the right thing to do, and it makes sense. So it's hard on restaurants, yeah. but, that, yeah, definitely all-inclusive. Iron Chef competition or Waffle House Smackdown? Oh, I just throw uh, that in there. When yeah, there, you were you tough. were a judge for many years. Yeah, um, I, I I would do Waffle House. I have a soft spot for Waffle House. Iron Chef was a lot of fun, but it was also somebody sticking a camera in front of your face at nine in the morning and you eating and then trying to be somewhat uh, well spoken um, and usually come across as angry and. <laughs> Intankerous, no. but uh, uh, Waffle House. Okay, couple more. Long hair or short hair? Oh, short hair. I still get made fun of on a daily <laughs> basis from people because somebody will like uh, who I work with, or who I didn't work with back then, will find a picture of me uh, with long hair. But it was a time and a phase, and I prefer short hair. A lot less maintenance. Oh, it was long for a long time, or at least from... No, when, I now? had it for probably 10, 15 years. I okay. remember when I got my hair cut, I had to take my youngest daughter to the uh, to the barbershop because she would freak out. So I had to show her that it was still me when I came back with short hair. <laughs> too much conditioner. You had to spend too much money on conditioner when you have long hair. <laughs> oh, talk to girls. <laughs> How about cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate, absolutely. That answer. And uh, Manhattan or Brooklyn? I mean, I have to go with Brooklyn. It's where I've lived for, you know, 20, 20 years. It's home. It's where I raised my family. So Brooklyn all the way. Awesome. That's the game. Awesome. That was fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So industry news. I just picked this up yesterday that it was on NOLA.com how Alon Shia uh, is... Lanchai is being replaced as executive chef at Shia and Dominica. And this was by Brett Anderson. Mm -hmm. So this was a surprise to me and I think a lot of people reading this that um, so Alan Shia is leaving the I mean, he's been with there's with is a split with John Besh, who owns these restaurants, the best restaurant group. And um, he's been with them since 2005. Mm -hmm. And uh I think from what I read, they were, tr- they were trying to negotiate something with Alan owning or taking ownership of Shia, Shia yeah. but that didn't seem heard. to happen. But um, yeah. I don't know. No, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't have any insight or into that. But uh-huh. you know, it's one of those things that you know. I think if you ask any well-known chef, one of the greatest things about running a restaurant is being able to bring up people in that kitchen and then give them the restaurant that they want to own. And I think, you know, uh, Alon spent a lot of time with John Besh, who's immensely talented and he's a part of New Orleans. And he gave, you know, he helped him open Shia, the restaurant of his dream. And at a certain point, you know, whatever the reasons, like it's time for somebody to, to do it on their own in in their full way. And, you know, I'm sure that's all it is, is just, you know, he wants to, you know, and Alon has won James Beard Awards. He's kind of you know, it's hard coming up when you already have kind of a big name chef that you're working with and kind of getting out un- from under their wings and Alon's been able to do that. So I'm sure it's, you know, amicable um, and, you know, hopefully we'll just have more restaurants in New Orleans to choose from now when Alon starts opening some, you know. Yeah, no, I agree with all that. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten to know Alon over the years just he by at events. I've yeah. seen him at South Beach. I've seen him in I don't know at Feast in Portland. Yeah, oh, we didn't talk about Feast in Portland. Oh, 
Feast Portland last weekend. How yeah. was it? Was, it was great. I mean, it's it's the sixth year that Bon Appetit's been involved in Feast Portland, which I think is one of the cooler um, food festivals. It is. It's, it's fun. It's a great one. I mean, everybody wants to kind of, you know, all the chefs from out of town and want to go to Portland and hang out and see what see what the buzz is about. Um, and they get they get amazingly talented. And the, the events are well run and they're different. Um, and it doesn't it doesn't suck going to Portland in in September when the weather is usually beautiful. Um, I did mention to you earlier that you know they're having these terrible wildfires out there. So there was some like ash in the air. So it, it, it's felt like there was a big barbecue <laughs> smoke off going on. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's one of my favorite events of the year to go to. And I'm pretty jaded when it comes to festivals and like that. I've been doing it for a long time, but I, I love that event. Yeah, no, it's great. And Bonatiz is sponsor of yep. it. And I've yep. been twice. It was there last year and it was the first year. So mm-hmm. I will go back at some point. Yeah, you have it's to a, come back it, next year. So it's only getting bigger and better. Yeah, they do a great job. So um, we're a little short on time, but I would just give a shout out to Gabrielle Hamilton and Ashley Merriman. They got a really nice review in the New York Times today. Yep. Uh, two stars bumped it up from one star, Yep, uh, which is great for them. And pr- it's at Prune. I didn't say Prune. <laughs> Yeah, I think Gabrielle Hamilton. That that, that could only be that can only be pruned. That, yeah, it's amazing that how when I first moved to New York, that was you know that was a buzzy new restaurant, and now still is. It's it still is, but <laughs> now it's now it's a classic New York mm-hmm. restaurant yeah. that you kind of have to go to, you know. And it it shows, and she's done food so well and so simply for so long that um, I'm happy she was at Portland Feast. She she um, she came out and did oh, a cool. dinner. Yeah, so it was pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's 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 wonderful. It's a really nice review. I'm happy for them. It's, and it's, it's the only it's restaurant I know classic. that when when you're sitting down, that if somebody else needs to go to the restaurant restroom, you have to get you up have to get move. up. Yeah, yeah it's Ima- tight. Imagine putting that on a business plan when you're trying to open a restaurant. But God bless it, it, it works. Tiny. It works yeah. for prunes, so that's that's great. Yeah, I think that makes it the intimate thing that you feel a part of. Yeah, New York City. What it is so. Um, and then the other thing I just wanted to uh, announce, uh, near, it was in the New York Times, Florence Fabric wrote about it, but there's a hurricane relief event on Sunday, this uh, September 24th. It's called NYC Loves Texas and Florida, and it's taking place down at Pier A Harbor House, um, Dead Rabbit, Porch Light, uh, Pouring Ribbons, a bunch of the bars are participating. And uh, you can find it on Eventbrite uh, to get tickets. They're $75 and $125. And also, just so much happening in the world, like best wishes to Puerto Rico and Mexico Absolutely. City. There's, we have a lot um, of uh, global yeah. stuff Yeah, a lot of those Caribbean islands, yeah. you know, that I've been to. Um, yeah. I hope, uh, you know. Wish my heart best. goes out to him, yeah. Miami, too. Hometown. Okay, so one more break here, and then come back and do my solo dining experience, and we'll have the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
And we're back. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. This week, it is at Eckstead. Here is the rundown. The location, Hamlegard Gastan, that is correct, in Stockholm, Sweden. The concept, contemporary brasserie known for its creative dishes prepared in a wood-fired oven. The chef, Nicholas Ekstedt, who grew up in a small Swedish village called Jarpen. So why did I go? Because I had met Nicholas at the CIA's Worlds of Flavor conference. He's an outstanding chef, and how could I not while in Stockholm? So my experience, I was warmly greeted when I arrived for my reservation. I was seated at a perfect two-top facing the open kitchen so I could see all the action. Uh, I was actually right in front of the Garmanger station, um, and so it was, you know, it was like dinner and a show. I opted for the four-course tasting menu instead of the six, and the only disappointment I had was that Nicholas was not there that evening. So what did I get? So I don't know how much to describe it. I'll say it was dried deer, juniper-baked pike perch, birch-fired pork, and wood-fired oven-baked almond cake. So everything is done with the wood oven and everything was delicious. So that, yeah, my take, I loved it. I thought, um, sophisticated dishes, but also very, you know, earthy and, uh, approachable, not, you know, a good amount of food for the four courses. There were some extras and I could see why it earned a Michelin star. So the ambiance, it's casual, rustic setting with natural woods and warm glow. Perfect for open flame Scandinavian cooking like you've never had before. Interesting tidbit. Nicholas researched culinary history books to discover traditional Swedish cooking techniques, which led him to use burning wood as the only heat source in the kitchen. He achieves different flavor nuances by burning a variety of different woods. Personal fun fact. Nicholas and I both worked at Charlie Trotter's around the same time in the late 90s. I was in the front of the house, and he was in the back. I think we overlapped a little bit, but we didn't know each other very well. The cost, $112. That's converted into U.S., and that is the total. And would I go back? Yes, hopefully when he's there. Website is xted.nu, and that's E-K-S-T-E-D-T. I'll put it on my list. I haven't heard of it. Now you have. (laughs) Yeah, it was great. Um, have you been to Stockholm? I have. I love. I'm, I'm married to a Norwegian uh, wife, ah. so it's just a hop and a skip and a jump from Oslo over to Stockholm. So go there quite often. I didn't make it to Oslo. This was my Copenhagen trip that I said I'm going to go over to Stock- Stockholm for a little bit. So it's beautiful up there. I love it. Yeah, it was great. Um, okay, final question. So I don't know. Scheduling the next couple of weeks, I've. I haven't figured stuff out. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I've had, I've, uh, but I do know who's coming on the show on October 11th, so I'm going to have you ask them a question. It is Pat, Patrick Janelle and Amy Virginia Buchanan, and, or Buchanan. I'll have to see how to pronounce that. So they are the co-founders of Spring Street Social Society, which is this membership club that brings people together in unexpected spaces. Yes. Have you I, heard of it? I know them. Patrick, you know them. Patrick, I, I don't know her. Patrick okay. Janelle used to work at Bon Appetit. And when one of the first events he did, I think I went to the second Spring Street Social event when he threw that. And, and I actually went and did a bicycle 
a tour of the Basque country um, for a story in Bon Appetit a couple years ago, and he came along. He's a he's a good cyclist too. So I know I know Patrick. The perfect person for you to ask a question to. So I guess my question for them would be. If you could throw a party in any location in the world, where would it be? And the second part is, because during these, they always have these kind of vaudeville like acts come out during between each course, at least they used to. Um, so what, what entertainer would they like to come out uh, between the apps and the entrees to, to perform? Awesome. That's my question That's for, a great one. For, for Mr. Patrick. Tell him I said hi, by the Do way. Do you know where I met him? Where is that? BA Hot 10 party. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Oh, right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now yeah, I was just thinking about that. He's um, yeah. he's like an Instagram star. He's got like a gazillion followers. He's like a celebrity. He's a celebrity. <laughs> he makes money off of Instagram, which I still can't figure that out. But Me he's a delight, super smart, um, and an avid cyclist. So much information. <laughs> More than I expected, but that's awesome. And that's the show. Awesome. I wish I, I feel like I'd like to sit here for a couple more hours and chat. As but, long um, as you popped a bottle of whiskey open and got some Roberta's pie, I'd, 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 I'd do it. I would, I would do that <laughs> for you next time. How about that? All right. So thank you. I'm in awe of your career. I think you have an amazing job. I think you've done, you've done just incredible over the years. Just staying, you know, everything you've done, like you're, you, you've developed, you've grown, you've, you bring and introduce terrific restaurants to me in the country and let us know about these places to go eat and so i i thank you thank you i'm surrounded by immensely talented people at bonapetit who allow me to do all of this so yeah shout out to them yeah well shout out to all of you (laughs) so my guest today has been andrew knowlton he's the deputy editor of bonapetit magazine you can find them their website's bonapetit.com social media at bonapetit at andrew o knowlton and the hashtag BA Hot 10. Yes. That's it. That's the list. You can find me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My website's BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. If you miss any of our live shows, they are archived. They are at HeritageRadioNetwork.org and on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks again to Andrew. Thanks to my engineer, Vitor. And uh, thank you for listening. I'm Sherry Bayer. I will be back next week with another live show. You will have to tune in to see who the guest is. So till then, have a great week and be well. And thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.